With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Cats by 90, a podcast dedicated to you, the Big Blue Nation. Basketball, football, and the latest recruiting news. If it's Kentucky sports, then it's here on Cats by 90. Now, from SB Nation's A Sea of Blue, your hosts, Big Blue Drew and Aaron Gershon. Hello and welcome to what is now episode 15 of the Cats by 90 podcast brought to you by SB Nation's A Sea of Blue. Drew Brown, a.k.a. Big Blue Drew here, and I am by myself. I'm going to kind of work um, out the logistics of how this is going to work. Um, so I just landed in Cincinnati from New York City, fresh off the Champions Classic. I was not going to miss the opportunity to kind of get everything off my chest and the sights and sounds of New York. Aaron is in class right now, can't join me. I'm having some medical stuff tomorrow. So we basically couldn't link up. So I'm going to kind of go over, hopefully provide some really cool um, stories and things from what happened in New York. And Aaron's actually going to be on the tail end of this. He has Terry Lambert, who is the site manager of um, Tennessee's SB Nation site, and they're going to come on and preview football. So hopefully all that makes sense. I'm in my Jeep Wrangler. I know it's probably super loud that the quality might not be as crisp on this one as we like to usually do, but we're going to ride with it anyway. So all right, again, just landed. I think I'm on about an hour of sleep, so hopefully some of this makes sense. Um, and there's no other way to do this. I'm just going to have to come out with a super hard flex right away. But I interviewed Kevin Durant at the Champions Classic. Yes. If you have not seen it, please take a look at my Twitter page, at BigBlueDrew33. Um, don't even really know how to describe what happened and just the star power that was at the Champions Classic. But as we've discussed many times on the podcast, um, I was able to go there and do photography. So I was on the floor. And just lucky me, the particular spot that I was placed on the floor was just like murderers row of famous people. Um, Tom Thibodeau, the former NBA coach, was sitting there. That's who Kevin Durant sat with. And basically, KD was stretching his legs out in my lap for the better part of three hours. So uh, I didn't really have to do much. We had kind of been making eye contact. We were just so close. So um, in between the games, I kind of just grabbed him and got his thoughts on the matchup between Michigan State and Kentucky before the game tipped off. Um, you couldn't hear a ton, but you could make it out a little bit. And he was a really cool dude. Um, my honest thing here is, man, I walked into Madison Square Garden last night, not a big Kevin Durant fan. No real tangible reasons as to why I didn't like him. I don't know if it was the burner Twitter, joining the Warriors, um, just as what I thought of kind of a pouty nature maybe. But, man, after just being around him for several, several hours, I mean, just within an earshot of everything he was saying, people interacting with him, um, the fact that he gave me, you know, two or three minutes of his time and was gracious about it. Huge Kevin Durant fan now. I will be buying lots of his clothes, making my kid wear them, all that good stuff. But please take a look at that. It was pretty neat. Um, aside, uh, other things before we even jump into the game part of it, um, maybe even more cool to me, and I think this really speaks to kind of how we feel as Kentucky fans, but I also had the opportunity to do the same thing 
um, at halftime with former Kentucky player Terrence Jones, who is my all-time favorite Kentucky Wildcat. I love Terrence Jones, and I was kind of able to get his thoughts on the first half as well as um, pay my respects a little bit because I know that there is no 2012 title without him, and I believe that some Kentucky fans maybe forget that fact. So I'll let him know that. He was extremely appreciative and um, super nice guy, too. I, I was watching him a lot throughout the night, just very gracious on everybody talking to him, makes eye contact, giving hugs, um, awesome dude. Then from a Kentucky standpoint as well, Keith Bogans was there, Tayshawn Prince was there, John Wall was there. I have a ton of footage on the Twitter page from John Wall. I mean, he was just an absolute maniac cheering for Kentucky, um, especially towards the tail end of that game when a lot of the other NBA players had left. John Wall stayed to the very end, went into the locker room. Obviously, he was a big, big fan of Tyrese Maxey, really cheering on him. I mean, at one point, John Wall was literally, like, running the sidelines. I specifically remember after that big Nate Sestina three, he did that, and then after a couple of those um, incredible floaters by Tyrese Maxey. So, unbelievable scene at, at the Champions Classic last night in Madison Square Garden. I still, um, I would say that it was like a dream to me, only I haven't been to sleep. I've maybe gotten an hour or two of sleep um, between the hotel and the airplane, but do not take that as me complaining. I'm absolutely not doing that. Just an unbelievable experience. Um, I just can't put it into words. And hopefully as I have a chance to maybe digest a little bit more exactly what happened, I'll remember certain things and um, I'll be able to like kind of tell you guys and stuff because it was epic. As far as the game goes, holy smokes. I mean, I do not know what more you could have asked for from this young Kentucky team coming into a game where you knew they were going to have to be physical and answer you know, the bell to that physicality that the Spartans were going to bring. And I thought from the very first opening tip they did that and, and you know i think if, if the jerseys were the same color you didn't know who was who you would have argued that maybe kentucky was that physical team you know the way that they brought it um a lot left to be desired with a few guys like khalil whitney keon brooks did not play well at all and um ej montgomery's kind of continuing to struggle but all that being said i mean you really look at that performance and think damn this team has some awesome potential by the time that march rolls around and um, before that, November 6, 2019, the Cats are the number one team in the nation, period. They were the best team in New York City last night. I did not leave impressed with Duke or Kansas. Um, and Michigan State obviously has great coach, great great guard in Cassius Winston, but they're not on the level of Kentucky. And I think the, the main reason is this trio of guards that Kentucky can play together. And we've spoken about that a few times now, but when you have an Emmanuel Quickly and Ashton Hagens and a Tyrese Maxey that you can put in a game during crunch time. I don't know that any other team in college basketball is going to have that luxury. They can all three defend, they can all three protect the ball, and they all three make their free throws. How about at, um, Emmanuel quickly, um, I think twice he got fouled on a three-pointer and made all three of the, of the three-pointers, and he was just quietly like having a game last night, and I think that's something that we'll continue to see from Emmanuel quickly is just that sophomore leadership um, and all the stuff that he's been through and he was fighting for balls too last night so just epic performance all around they you know they really showed up when the lights were on nothing more you can say or you know about this team other than positive things it's just incredible to me that they were able to go in there and do that at no point during the game did I really feel like oh man the wheels are going to come off Michigan State would, um, you know, make a few big plays. Kentucky would answer the bill. 
And something that I specifically was really, really impressed with last night was at certain points I was watching UK's defense and they were moving like a unit. It was like they were in unison around the court. Boom, boom, boom. Almost like a zone offense, but they were in man-to-man, which is what it should look like. Everybody was helping to the middle, getting back to their guys. They obviously did an excellent job running Michigan State off the three-point line. Um, So for it to be November 5th and their defense looked like that, that's just um, that's going to really bode well as the season goes on because you know that's all Cal does is we'll get into that uh, winter break where he'll do Camp Cal and they'll come out even better defensively. Junior Nick Richards, damn, the dude came to play. I've never been at a game where Nick Richards was as posting up as hard as he was last night and begging for them to throw him the ball, getting mad when they weren't throwing him the ball. He looked better on offense. Um, I got a really sweet picture of that of that monster dunk that he had. Still room to polish his game up, but a confident Nick Richards, I think, is going to go a long way because I truthfully believe that um, a good portion of his struggles within the first two seasons have been mental. He's just kind of second-guessing what he's doing. Um, I think he's going to be fine, and last night he took a major step forward. And, hell, where would the Cats have been had he not played? Because on the other side of the token, Keon Brooks just had an abysmal game. He looked lost from, from the beginning, took some couple terrible shots. Um, there was one point in the first half when he had two fouls, and Cal really didn't have a choice but kind of trusted him to go back in with those two fouls late in the first half. And he immediately gets in and just jacks up an unwarranted three-point shot. You know, bricks hard. He takes him out again. So air bought a three in the second half. So Keon Brooks didn't look great, but, I mean, he's a freshman. It was his first game. I still expect him to, you know, develop throughout the season and, you know, really become a good front court option for Kentucky. But, you know, not only did the Cats win, they they covered by a lot. I mean, I think that it was like Michigan State by three, I want to say, and what did Kentucky win by seven. So, I mean, they just really outperformed the spread. And just from start to finish, you really got the sense that, like, wow, this team has a chance to be something special. Um, Cal talked a lot of, at the end of the game about Tyrese Maxey. Obviously, I've been a huge, huge um, Maxey guy all summer. I think I had kept saying that I thought by the end of the season that he was going to be that guy to really emerge, but it was really more like 10 minutes into the season. Um, he's already done that, and I think you'll start seeing him you know, being kind of the primary offensive distributor. Um, whether or not he'll move in the starting lineup, I would assume that he would. Um, but, but Cal was nothing but praise for Tyrese Maxey. He called him um, like this year's Jamal Murray just with his infectious smile and how he's always laughing and cheesing and that, you know, his confidence just kind of translates over. And something interesting, too, that, that Cal was telling stories about in the postgame about Maxey, um, someone asked him basically, like, did you know this was the Tyrese Maxey you were getting? And he said that that was the Tyrese Maxey I saw in high school, but I hadn't seen it yet since he's been here which was really interesting to me, basically saying that last night was the first time since high school that he had saw him dominate a game and kind of have that look in his eye like that he did because, wow, the dude was torching, 26 points. Um, I know one of his threes was touching net and came out. He was just like, you know, paper-thin spot from getting 30 on the number one team in the nation, one of the better defenders in the country, best defensive teams in the country for sure. So, uh, I just can't say enough. I'm losing my voice. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to keep going on here, but I had to get some of this off my chest. Um, please look at my page at Big Blue Drew 33. Make sure you're following us at Cats by 90. 
If you have not listened to episode 14, the one before this with Paul Davis, um, former Michigan State forward and um, draft pick to the LA Clippers, please listen to that. It was not a ton Champions Classic specific. We talked about it a little towards the end, but it was just a lot of really good stories about Paul playing against the University of Kentucky in the Patrick Sparks Elite Eight game. And um, we got into a little bit of him playing at Ford Field against Kentucky when there was like 80,000 people and they proactively tried to break the basketball world record for attendance, which was obviously some pretty sweet games to play in. So please check that out. I'm sure I'll think of some more stuff. I'm going to try to post it. But again, I just had to kind of get all that off my chest and what was a dream come true for me in New York City. And I mean, it lived up to all that I, I wanted it to be and then some. So big shout out to the homie Kevin Durant, Terrence Jones, John Wall, um, just all the people that were down there supporting Kentucky. It was a really special night. And uh, make sure you hang out right now to hear Aaron and um, Terry Lambert, the manager for SB Nation's Tennessee site. And uh, we'll take a quick break for commercials and then they'll be on. Thank you. All right. Part two of this week's Cats by 90 podcast from SB Nation's Asia Blue. You just heard from Drew, who got back from New York on Wednesday covered the championships class champions classic and if you didn't see his covers you check him out he interviewed kevin durant of all people and had some great stuff on the cats big win in michigan state but well over michigan state but while he did that i've been here getting ready for kentucky tennessee football and joining me now from rocky talk rock i messed this up again rocky <laughs> top talk uh at sb nations uh sb nations tennessee page is their site manager terry lambert how you doing man doing good thanks for having me on absolutely so try, trying to get the listeners more informed about this tennessee team which it's been a wild 2019 season you guys open the year with two really kind of shocking losses to georgia state and byu now playing a lot better uh, and have a great chance to make a bowl game. So, first of all, talk about the first two weeks and what it did to the fan base down there and <laughs> just all the speculation with Coach Pruitt and everything else with the program. Yeah, people were ready to uh, to fire him, you know, and, and move on to, to the next thing. You know, it's funny, just we're not even two years removed from the greatest coaching search of all time, uh, you know, with, with Shiano and all that. So it was kind of deja vu, uh, you know, losing to Georgia State there brought back a lot of, a lot of feelings, you know, people, people were ready for Philip Fulmer to, to come back to the sidelines. <laughs> um, that was a, that was a fun couple weeks there. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's no excuse for losing to, to Georgia State at all. Uh, but Tennessee did have, you know, four key players out, uh, three senior starters on defense plus Bryce Thompson, who got suspended for that game. Um, so you kind of understand how it happened. And now you look at Georgia state now and they're a top 45 team. Uh, if you look at some of these rankings, so, uh -huh. um, yeah, Tennessee has gotten those key players back. Uh, you know, the, the BYU game the following week, you, you immediately saw some improvement there. Um, and, and now guys like Daniel Batuli, uh, senior leader at linebacker, it's back in action. Uh, so kind of stopped the bleeding there um, after the bye week. Uh, and, and now Pruitt has picked up big wins over Mississippi State, uh, got one over South Carolina, and really, quite honestly, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Alabama. 
uh, that game, you know, a, a couple of breaks here and there, and that could have been a, a really interesting game down the stretch. So I think Tennessee fans are finally starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, but I'll be honest, uh, I, I didn't see that coming at the start uh, that Tennessee got off to. I'll ask you this, and then I kind of just want to go through Tennessee's roster. Are you confident in Pruitt now and this being his program? Yeah, and I like the hire. I, I like the hire from the get-go. It was, you know, like Tennessee's 16th choice, <laughs> it seemed like. Yeah, oh, I know. That was wild. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think he's what they need. He's going to recruit at a high level. Uh, you look at what he's done just from a size and strength standpoint. Um, Tennessee now looks like an SEC team again, uh, which is not something you could say under Butch Jones. So I think his philosophy, the coaching staff is outstanding. Uh, the coaching staff he has brought in is just ridiculous. Uh, they're also ridiculously paid. So um, <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in this staff. I think it'll take them a, at least another year before they can even start to think about winning big. But uh definitely think Tennessee's on the right track. So, like I said, I kind of just want to go through the position groups on this team and the skilled players they have, and then we'll get into the actual matchup. But starting at quarterback, the Vols have played three different guys at the quarterback position this year. Obviously, Jarek Garantano is the main one, however, that will probably see, I would say, would see most of the snaps against Kentucky. Uh, talk about the quarterback play. And Garantano, like, I, I, I mean, I was really high on him. And then this year, just despite all the experience, it hasn't been all <laughs> as great as he was at least I thought he was going to be. Yeah, and I go back to that BYU game. Uh, all, all Jared needed to do was just just not turn the ball over. First thing he does, first play at halftime, is throws a, a pick and gives BYU a golden ticket to get back into that game. And then BYU ends up capitalizing at the end and comes back to win. So it, it's been the decision-making for Jared, um, you know, turning the ball over, which is something he didn't do last year. I think he's regressed there. And, uh, you know, I, I think four offensive coordinators in four years has something to do with it. Uh, I think you're starting to see him hit his stride. But I will say, if Brian Maurer is healthy, I, th I think it's going to be Maurer uh, getting most of the snaps. Uh, the true freshman, uh, three-star prospect, really came in and, and gave Tennessee a shot. Uh, shot in the arm. And, and against Georgia, Tennessee was up 14-10 to 10, You know, in the second quarter. Uh, Maurer came out and led a scoring drive against Alabama. Uh, so uh, done a really lot of a lot of nice things there, uh, and then you've got JT Shrout who came in against South Carolina and threw a couple touchdown passes and threw one deep. So you've got three options there. You might see all three. Um, I, I think it'll be Maurer getting most of the snaps, and then uh, I think you'll see Juwan Jennings getting a healthy amount of snaps at, at, in the Wildcat look. You mentioned Juwan Jennings and. No matter who's at quarterback, Tennessee has a ton of uh, playmakers at receiver and the running back positions. But Jawan Jennings in particular, uh, Brad White, when I asked him about him on Wednesday, compared him to Terrell Owens. Yeah, that, that's a big comparison. But Yeah, that's what um, I thought. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think he's athletically what Terrell Owens is, but he's just going to outwork you. Um, he's stronger than you, and, and that's, that's what I can say for him. He's definitely not faster than you. Uh, or bigger or anything like that. But he's just a guy, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's going to run through you. Uh, he's kind of a throwback type player, former uh, high school quarterback. Uh, so, uh, again, he's not anything dynamic down the field. He's just going to go get the football and, and run through people on his way to the end zone. So uh, that game he had against South Carolina, 
man, I, I mean, that, that was the stuff that legends are made of. Uh, and he kind of put the Tennessee offense on his back there. So he's a huge part of this Tennessee offense. I'm really not sure where Tennessee would be without him at this point. And then you also have a couple other guys in Marquez Callaway and Ty Chandler that can do some damage. And Marquez Callaway is an outstanding 50-50 ball receiver. Uh, Tennessee uses him a lot down the field when they want to take shots. Uh, I, I'm a big fan. I think he's been underused here. I think he's probably going to be a better pro. Uh, than than he's been at Tennessee, and then yeah, Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler's real dynamic. Um, I think you all saw that a couple of years ago. Uh, yep. <laughs> a guy that can hit a home run from any point on the field um, has run a lot harder. I think he's grown as a runner. He's got got a little bit of an attitude to him. And the, you know, the Tennessee run game is interesting because it's kind of shifted in recent weeks. You've seen Tim Jordan get get the bulk of the load. Then you've seen Tim Jordan get the bulk of the load. So Tennessee just kind of rides with the hot hand of the week. Um, you've also got Eric Gray in there, who's kind of like a human joystick. I think you'll hear big things out of him in the coming season. So uh, Tennessee run game has woken up in recent weeks. The offensive line is getting a push, uh, but they're going to have their work cut out for them uh, this week against a pretty good Kentucky front. Yeah, it is a good Kentucky front, but they're – Honestly, they've done better against the pass this season, which was very surprising based on all the talent they lost a year ago. But looking to the other side of the ball for Tennessee, a big reason they've been able to win, rattle off some wins here in SEC play is the run defense has been outstanding. You hold Kylan Hill, one of the best running backs in the SEC, to 11 yards a few weeks ago. And then a South Carolina offense that had two 100-yard rushers against Kentucky back in September. And I was at that game, and it was – uh Pretty, I've, I mean, I thought it was a mix of poor play from Kentucky and two really good South Carolina running backs, but Tennessee held them to 77 yards combined. Yeah, Tennessee is, is interesting because they've turned a corner defensively, but they don't really have a standout guy on the defensive front, at least on the interior. Uh, I, I think it's been a group effort. You know, they rotate a lot. Uh, you know, Greg Emerson, I, I guess, is, is one of the standouts there. Uh, Daryl Middleton. They've gotten length. Uh, they've gotten strength uh, since Jeremy Pruitt has been there. And, and, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You know, Pruitt has made this roster look like an SEC team again, which was much needed. Uh, you know, Butch Jones had them playing pretty small. Uh, so Pruitt has the size and the strength back. You're starting to see that pay off. Uh, and then I'll point to a couple linebackers. Daniel Batui, the senior uh, gets everybody in line on that defense. He's probably the most important player on the defense. Uh, and then Henry Toho Toho, the, the stud freshman uh, linebacker, top 40 player in last year's class, has come in and he started from day one. So you've got both of those guys making making you know big plays in the backfield. Uh, you know Tennessee's kind of a one trick pony on, on the pass rushing front. Uh, you've got Daryl Taylor. Um, who, you know, Kentucky fans probably remember from last year. I think he had four sacks in that game. Uh, so he, uh, was kind of a one man band and wrecked, wrecked Kentucky's, uh, day last year. Uh, Tennessee's hoping he can mm-hmm. do that again. Uh, but, you know, they, they really can't get pressure, uh, just re- sending four. So we'll look for a lot of blitzes out of Pruitt and Ainsley. Now, one last thing I want to ask you, and then we'll get into the actual matchup. Uh, Tennessee secondary has been a little up and down this year, but when Bryce Thompson came back, it seems like everything's changed, and he was the defensive player of the week in the conference, uh, I believe, last week. 
Yeah, three interceptions against UAB. Um, did it in about twenty minutes. In the first twenty minutes of the ball game, right? <laughs> uh, pretty wild. I so, think. He, yeah. Did he have a pick against Kentucky last year? I want to say he did. Uh, I can't remember. I don't have that in front of me. Um, okay. Anyways, he's he's a total stud. Uh, I think he's a, a future first round pick. Uh, again, Tennessee didn't have him the first three games of the season. Uh, and, and, you know, it's no surprise they lost to Georgia State and, and BYU. So, uh, he, he's a, a big part of that defense. He has come back and he has just solidified, uh, the secondary across the field from him has been a little bit of a re- revolving door. Uh, Alante Taylor has, has gotten reps there. He's kind of regressed. Uh, Warren Burrell, the, the pure freshman there. Uh, true freshman there has, has gotten reps there too. Uh, and then the safety play is, I think it's just been average. I think you get decent play from Nigel Warrior, but he's going to miss a tackle here and there. Uh, so I, I think Bryce Thompson is basically the, the story in the secondary. Probably a guy that you don't want to mess with if, if you're Kentucky, you know, especially considering they're probably going to dial up a conservative game plan and keep things on the ground. Yeah, that is totally right. And we're going to dive into. The matchup here in a second, Cats by 90 podcast from SB Nation to see a blue. Um, before I go into this matchup, I was on a Missouri podcast, the Mizzou cast. They were a lot of fun. Um, wouldn't be surprised if they contact someone like you for Tennessee week, but <laughs> they really were, they kept calling Kentucky other than Vanderbilt, the worst program in the SEC and obviously understandable based on Kentucky's history, but Kentucky's taken a lot of steps forward. One of them is they still can't seem to beat Tennessee. But from a Tennessee's perspective, I was just curious to see what your thoughts are on what Mark Stoops has done with this Kentucky program. Yeah, and I said this. Um, you know, we wrote up a post about Stoops uh, and the Florida State interest. You know, there's a reason Florida State's interested in him, and it's not just because he coached down there. Stoops has, has turned Kentucky into, you know, from a bottom feeder to somewhere in the middle of the SEC, you know, which is an, an accomplishment, I think, uh, for a program like Kentucky. Uh, I don't think they're, they're flashy, uh, but they, they're physical. Uh, they, they win at the line of scrimmage, uh, and, and that's going to win you ball games in this league or, or any league for that matter. So, um, again, I, I don't, I don't know that they have the offense to, to go beat anybody in the country, but, Defensively, they've made strides, uh, in particular on the offensive line. Stoops has really had that group rolling for the past few years. So, um, I, I think Stoops has done a, a commendable job. Um, it'd be interesting to see if he stayed there for five more years, what he could turn it into. So now going ahead and looking at Saturday, what do you see from Lynn Bowden and how do you think uh, Tennessee's defense matches up against him and in comparison to maybe some of the other not even mobile quarterbacks, but just east-south runners like that you've seen this year? Well, I, I mean, first thought is if Kentucky's going to be one-dimensional, Pruitt and Ansley are, are, are so good at what they do uh, that, that they're going to drop a game plan to shut that down. Um, with that being said, Tennessee has struggled in certain spots with mobile quarterbacks this year. You know, you go back to the Georgia State game, uh, they, they gashed Tennessee with the, the read option, you know, speed option, you know, to both sides of the field. Uh, again, Tennessee was down several key players in that matchup, but, um, I, I'm sure, I'm sure they're, Kentucky's fired up the, the game tape, uh, of that option look that Georgia State gave them. Um, you know, Mississippi State did the same thing, uh, with Garrett Schrader. 
uh, in the second half of that game. Again, I, I have no idea what Mississippi State is doing with Tommy Stevens. Garrett Schrader nope. makes them so much better. Um, we saw that in Starkville. Schrader <laughs> played the whole game and, oh, God. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, Tennessee was fortunate that, that Stevens came in and basically wasted a half of football. Mm-hmm. Schrader came in and kind of lit that offense on fire. So, uh, that, that's my concern is Tennessee's history, um, struggling to stop the, the quarterback options. Uh, you know, keeping those guys in the pocket and not letting them get outside the tackle. So, uh, that, that would be my one concern entering this game. For, first of all, for Kentucky fans who listen to this podcast who said that Stevens was the better option than Sawyer Smith on the transfer portal, there's your answer. Uh, <laughs> Kentucky did better with Sawyer Smith, even though he's they not disagree. healthy right now, but. You think you think that uh, Smith is not as good as a, uh, Stevens? Oh no, I was agreeing with you. I, I was oh, agreeing. Okay, yeah, I, I got you. I with that idea. Big, <laughs> oh, okay, I thought I was like, oh, okay, good, good, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think Sawyer Smith will be a really good quarterback when he's healthy, and hopefully the last few games. But anyways, looking on the other side of the ball, um, how do you see Tennessee moving the ball against Kentucky? Or is it going to be more pass or run? Because you know, lately Kentucky's been good against both, but the secondary has been one of the best in the country to everyone's surprise, especially mine. You know, it's it's been kind of nice lately. Tennessee's been pretty balanced. Uh, they they've run the ball in spots. They ran the ball against Alabama. Uh, they ran for over 100 yards against the, against the Tide. No, that was a big shock in Knoxville. Um, the offensive line went toe to toe against Alabama's front seven. You know, which maybe isn't as good as it. it usually is this year but still that's a that's a pretty big measuring stick and I think Tennessee passed that test so um ran the ball decently against South Carolina but the big story coming out of South Carolina was the downfield passing attack uh and it really didn't matter who the quarterback was so it was Garantano um Maurer was out and then it was Shrout so each guy attacked down the field with success to Jawan Jennings to Marcus Callaway and I think it all stemmed from that run game you know, going lining up under center, uh, and, and then sending guys deep off play action. So I think you'll see a balanced attack from Tennessee. Jim Chaney has been really dialing them up lately. Uh, I'm excited to see this next chapter of this passing attack unfold. Uh, whoever's under center, you know, I think it's going to be Brian Maurer. Um, but he's proven that he can kind of light this offense on fire with both his feet and his downfield ability. I do want to ask you this real quick. Jim Chaney was obviously the offense coordinator at Georgia, and we were talking to, I want to say it was DeAndre Square, Kentucky's pretty solid linebacker, and he was saying that he hasn't, on tape, he thinks Tennessee's as physical a team as Georgia. He thinks they're as good. Are, is that because of Chaney's offense? I mean, I, he may have been obviously giving, I guess, overstating it, or, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Georgia, but uh, what have, is it? have you seen started – Cheney's Georgia-like offense finally starting to take place at Tennessee? Well, I don't think it's Jim Cheney. I, I think it's a couple of recruiting classes coming in for Jeremy Pruitt. Um, he's aiming bigger. Uh, he's not taking these 280-pound linemen that Butch Jones took. You know, he, he grabbed two five-star tackles uh, that are both 6'6", 320. Uh, so Tennessee's got some real beef up front, finally. It's been, gosh, <laughs> a, a decade. Um, Malik Jackson. <laughs> I, I, I mean, seriously, it's been a long time <laughs> since Tennessee had had since Tennessee looked like an SEC team. So they're starting to take on that look. 
I think it'll get better as, as time goes on. But yeah, I mean, you're starting to see flashes of, of that physicality. You're starting to see Tennessee line up and say, Hey, we're running the ball and you can't stop us. And, and that's, that's just really nice to see. Uh, you know, that's it, a really positive sign for Jeremy Pruitt as we start to head into year three. All right. So want to ask you one more thing before we start wrapping up here. I obviously want to get your prediction on the game and where you see Tennessee fall in these last three weeks and if they'll go bowling for the first time in a couple of years here. Feels weird to say, but I think they win out. I think they win the final wow. three games. Uh, I think they get to seven and five, which is where everybody had them in, you know, in Hoover and media days. Um, I think with this game in particular, I, I don't think Kentucky can put up enough points to, to hang with them. I think this Tennessee offense is, is kind of hot right now. It's starting to heat up. Doesn't really matter who the, the quarterback is. I think they're all three playing pretty well right now. So I think Tennessee outscores Kentucky in, in like a 21-17 type game. Um, and, and then you've got Missouri and then you've got Vanderbilt there. Both seem to kind of be floundering down the stretch. So uh, I think Tennessee's got a really good shot at getting the seven wins, which is just insane to say after the start they had. Yeah, if that happens, I mean, Pruitt's going to go from a guy that the whole world was laughing at, the SEC Coach of the Year candidate. That'd be pretty impressive there. Yeah, but, um, it's been a it's been a really really impressive turnaround. So Rocky Top is uh, pretty positive uh, for once. There you go. But um, obviously, I haven't made a prediction quite yet. I think it'll be really low scoring um, either way, and I do think it'll get chippy because Kentucky. Uh, last year was, you could see it all week and the guys that I've talked to, they're very upset about how last year went being the number 12 team in the country and then just getting shellacked. And then Tennessee is going to want to keep that big brother status that they've more than deserved throughout the course of the rivalry, 80 and 25 against the Wildcats all time. But, um, before I let you go, Terry, tell the listeners how to find you on Twitter and where they can find your Tennessee coverage and kind of get the Vols perspective of things. Yeah, I am Terry Lambert. You can follow me on Twitter at T Lambert TN. Uh, also run Rocky Top Talk, the Twitter account at Rocky Top Talk, um, RockyTopTalk.com for all the latest news and information on Tennessee. Uh, it's basketball season. You know, that's about to be a whole lot of fun. Completely new era in, uh, in Knoxville. You know, y'all, y'all got Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield out of town. So I'm sure y'all, y'all are happy about that. Big Blue Nation. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the Big Blue Nation really respected Schofield because he's just a class act and just a heck of a player. But Grant Williams was the one that took issue with, but I've never, I wasn't as big on hating Grant Williams that I'm a realist. I know he's a great player and <laughs> it was fun having th- really close games with Tennessee the last two years. And even though Tennessee really owned the cast the last two years, huh? Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty wild. It, it, you know, just looking back since really 2015, it's been at least a split, you know, and then we've, we've met in the tournament. So, uh, right. Tennessee will probably take a step back, you know, in this conversation for a different day, but Tennessee will probably take a step back after losing those four starters. But, uh, it, it'll, it'll be fun. I, I think, you know, Kentucky will get Tennessee's best shot come February. Yeah. Yeah, Kentucky looked very good. Obviously, you've heard Drew by now talk about his impressions in New York. Anyway, we'll definitely have to have you back on come basketball season. Drew, Drew's more the, I'm a basketball guy too, but he's a huge basketball guy. So he'll definitely want to talk to you about Tennessee basketball around then. But we appreciate you have, having you on and 
Good luck to your Vol setter. Are you going to be in Lexington? I will not. I will be watching from the couch. All right. Well, good luck to them. Uh, I will be there covering for our listeners. So stay tuned for that. And Terry, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow Cats by 90 on Twitter at Cats by 90. You can also follow Aaron and Drew at agershon99 and at bigbluedrew33. And remember, no matter the opponent, it's always Cats by 90.